The scripture reading is, the New Testament reading is found from the book of Acts, chapter 22, verses 1 through 29. Excuse me. Paul said to the crowd, brothers and fathers, listen to the defense that I now make before you. When they heard him addressing them in Hebrew, they became even more quiet. Then he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, educated strictly according to our ancestral law, being zealous for God, just as all of you are today. I persecuted this way up to the point of death by binding both men and women and putting them in prison, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me. From them I also received letters to the brothers in Damascus, and I went there in order to bind those who were there and to bring them back to Jerusalem for punishment. While I was on my way and approaching Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone about me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, who are you, Lord? Then he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not hear the voice of the one who was speaking to me. I asked, what am I to do, Lord? The Lord said to me, get up and go to Damascus. There you will be told everything that has been assigned to you to do. Since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, those who were with me took my hand and led me to Damascus. A certain Ananias, who was a devout man, according to the law and well spoken of by all the Jews living there, came to me, and standing beside me, he said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. In that very hour, I regained my sight and saw him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will to see the righteous one and to hear his own voice, for you will be his witness to all the world of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you delay? Get up, be baptized, and have your sins washed away, calling on his name. After I had returned to Jerusalem and while I was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw Jesus saying to me, hurry and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And while the blood of your witness, Stephen, was shed, I myself was standing by approving and keeping the coats of those who killed him. Then he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this point they listened to him, but then they shouted, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And while they were shouting, throwing off their cloaks and tossing dust in the air, 
the tribune directed that he was to be brought into the barracks and ordered him to be examined by flogging to find out the reason for this outcry against him. But when they had tied him up with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it legal for you to flog a Roman centurion? Who, I'm sorry. Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who is uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went to the tribune and said to him, what are you about to do? This man is a Roman citizen. The tribune came and asked Paul, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. The tribune answered, it cost me a large sum of money to get my citizenship, Paul said, but I was born a citizen. Immediately, those who were about to examine him drew back from him, and the tribune also was afraid, and he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. This is a word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear now our gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Jesus began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to the tenants and went to another country. When the season came, he sent a slave to the tenants to collect from them his share of the produce of the vineyard. But they seized him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent another slave to them, this one they beat over the head and insulted. Then he sent another, and that one they killed. And so it was with many others. Some they beat, and others they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir, come. Let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they seized him, killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come to destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. When they realized that he had told this parable against them, they wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowd, so they left him and went away. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God and Father, we gather together on this day as we observe the Feast of All Saints, mindful of your presence among us, grateful that you have knit us together, not only with your son Jesus, but with so many others who go way back into history, many, many, many generations before us. Many who are alive today that you have made us one family with, whether we like it or not, or recognize fully the beauty of that. And of course, in, in generations to come, as we look ahead to the future, we recognize that you have placed us eternally in the company of you and your people. And so we thank you for your word and for your spirit, and we pray now that you would do something really amazing among us, and that your spirit would be here and at work, and that you would be actually 
deepening our life of faith and hope and love with you, that you would be deepening our communion with one another as one family in Christ, and that you would be lifting our eyes to the great horizon of your coming kingdom, that we would see the future you have promised, that we would see the communion of saints to which we belong, and that we would be rooted, anchored in your love and your promise and your faithfulness, and able to endure whatever may come, able to press forward in hope. And so we ask for your work among us this morning. Build us up, we pray, through Christ our Lord. Amen. So as I've mentioned a few times now, All Saints, it's the day, the feast day that we observe. Technically, All Saints is November 1st every year, but we observe it usually on the Sunday following. And so here we are, we're, we're observing this day. And as I've already mentioned, the, the church calendar is helpful because our lives are structured and ordered uh, in time. And there are all kinds of calendars that exert authority over our lives, right? We follow the annual our fiscal uh, calendar, we follow the academic calendar, we might follow the uh, IRS calendar, right? You pay your scheduled quarterly taxes, some of us, or whatever. There, there are different rhythms that we follow. Um, we definitely follow the Red October sports calendar. That's why so many of us are carrying bags under our eyes and a little bit tired this morning. <clears throat> it's been a lot of nights <laughs> watching this watching those Phillies and Eagles. Um, but yeah, we, we, our lives follow the rhythms of the calendars that shape our year. And the church calendar is another one of those calendars and one that we want to lean into really strongly because we know that the way that we follow time shapes us. And so we as a discipline here in our church community, we do lean into the liturgical calendar. We allow the story of Christ to shape our year. It's a calendar that begins in Advent with the anticipation of God's coming to be with us in person in the birth of Jesus, where we celebrate that at Christmas. And then it's Epiphany as we look ahead into the, the season that is to come, as we recognize the light of God that comes in Christ and is revealed to the nations. Then we enter a season of Lent, where we take up a season of fasting and contemplation and repentance as we await the great feast of Easter and then the coming of God's spirit at Pentecost and then a big old long season called ordinary time that sort of is the rest of the year. And All Saints is this feast day that interrupts ordinary time. And in it, it interrupts it at the beginning of November at a time where we often need some interruption because of the way our other calendars work, right? So we've been caught up in the fever pitch of sports fandom. Election season is happening and it has its own energy and stress and anxieties attached to it. Uh, the holidays are coming and that is all of what that is. All the good, the bad and the ugly of holiday season, right? Thanksgiving, Christmas time coming, the new year. And here's this feast day of all saints. Just pops right up and says, let's do this today. Let's just clear space in our head and in our hearts and in our common life. And let's let today be about something else. Let's make space in our life together to recognize that we belong to a people. And it's not just the people that we recognize that, you know, live under the same national flag. It's not the same people that, that you know, 
belong to the same political party. It's not the people who look like us or the people who speak this language or that live in this city or cheer for this team. We belong to a people that God has made one in Christ. We belong to a people that includes members from every generation that has and ever will exist. We belong to a people that is made up of every tribe, of every language, of every ethnicity, of every racial identity, of every nationality. God has done something definitive in Christ as he has made one new humanity in him. And we belong to that people, which means we are siblings. We are family, and our family is big. And our family dwells together eternally because we await a world where God makes all things new and right, and he's made a place for us to be in it with him together. And that family is real, and this is a visible manifestation of that real family. And so we pause to acknowledge that incredible, beautiful mystery of the communion of saints of which we are a part. Because we need to. Because when we begin to recognize the communion of saints for what it is, we begin to realize that we are rooted in something deeper and bigger than what we see. And when we lean into this communion of saints and we dwell and inhabit that mystery, we also recognize that God has made one big us out of all of these little thems that might otherwise be our enemies or our competitors, antagonists. Instead, God's made us family. He's given us one another to love. Now, this text that we're reading from the book of Acts is not one that's selected because of All Saints Day. It's one that's just the next one that comes in the series of Acts that we've been doing since the beginning of summer. But there's a beautiful symmetry here because the thing that Paul's talking about in this episode is actually this new reality that God has done in Christ that makes the Feast of All Saints possible. You see, we've come to this moment in the story of Acts where Paul, at the, at the end of all of his journeys, has made it back to Jerusalem for the feast day, and he is now apprehended there, and people have a problem with him, and he is being called on to explain himself. And what we get here is Paul telling his story once again, and this is where the book of Acts starts to feel a little bit repetitive, because Paul tells his story over and over and over again because he keeps finding himself in the custody of authorities who are demanding from him an explanation. And so here he is in Jerusalem, and the occasion for his storytelling this time is people saying that Paul is spreading a message that is directly against the Jews. Now that's a thing that's going on right now too, right? Kanye. Kyrie Irving. There's some anti-Semitic things going around right now, and there, it's, it's, that's just in the room if you're paying attention at all to what's going on right now. It is important to know that there's absolutely nothing inherent to the Christian faith or the message of Jesus that is in any way, shape, or form against the Jews. There's no way to be consistently Christian and anti-Semitic. And Paul is making exactly that point actually in this context because you see, Paul is as Jewish as they come. 
Not only is he born a Jewish man, but he's raised in a Jewish household and he's studying to be the kind of rabbi who's like the rabbi of rabbis. And he's studying under Gamaliel, who is like one of the credentialed, like super PhD expert people who's training Paul to be a theological expert in the field, right? Paul is observant of every custom. He's sort of a a super religious person in the Jewish faith. And Jesus was Jewish and all of Jesus' earliest followers were Jewish. But the reason that the Jewish people in Jerusalem are experiencing something from Paul that sounds like it's against the Jews is because the message Paul is proclaiming is that God has done something in Jesus that is now going beyond the boundaries of Judaism. It is coming up from within Judaism, but it is now enfolding into this one family of God a whole bunch of non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. And the way that they become part of God's people is not by then becoming Jewish, but by following Jesus. And so this one new humanity that God has made in Christ, it includes the Jewish and the non-Jewish people together, but not on the terms of Judaism. And so that sounds to the listeners in Jerusalem like Paul is coming with an anti-Jewish message. But what Paul is doing now as he's telling his story is he's actually explaining to them that that is not at all what he's talking about. He is still, even as an apostle of Jesus, he is still as Jewish as they come. He's in Jerusalem for the Jewish feast. He's been shaving his head because he's been keeping Jewish vows. He is following exactly the same things that all of the other devout Jews are doing. He's following Jesus as a Jewish man. Others are following Jesus as non-Jewish people. And what Paul has been experiencing in his travels around the world is this new oneness that is founded in Jesus. So this is what Paul's doing here, right? And, what he, and, and the sermon is titled Testimony and Stewardship, which is sort of a weird title, admittedly, for a text like this. And I was told in staff meeting that when you see the stewardship thing, you think, oh, this is going to be the tithing sermon. And that's when I realized, man, I, my church baggage is really different than yours. Um, I just didn't grow up in the church. And so when I see that word, I, I, I just don't have those feelings. Um, so admittedly, that's probably tone deaf on my part. But... When I think of stewardship, when we talk about stewardship, we really don't mean just money, right? We're talking about stewarding all of life, everything that we have. Our story, for example, our talents, our gifts. Yes, of course, our resources, but everything, our whole self. And, and in putting our whole self in the service of God, stewarding all that God has given us, for God's purposes. And what we see here is Paul stewarding his story. We see Paul stewarding his citizenship and using it not for his own gain, but for what he perceives as the maximal benefit for how God might use these things for God's purposes. And so Paul starts telling his story, his very Jewish story in Jerusalem to a very Jewish audience And his point is very clear. I'm not the enemy you think I am. This message that I come, it's good news for you too. It doesn't undo what you're hearing from, what you're fearing, right? It doesn't undo your Jewishness. It's not against you. It is the fact that your God has done something incredible and new in Jesus that includes you and your neighbor. And God has done this with incredible, lavish grace. 
The story that Paul has to steward is his own, and he does it with courage, he does it with authenticity, and he does it with skill, recognizing that his hearers need to hear particular things from him. Because his story will sound slightly different in Greek contexts, right? It'll sound slightly different in other contexts. Not that Paul is being shifty. He tells his same story, and he owns it authentically. But he understands that the purpose of stewarding his story well is for the benefit of his hearers. And what we see here is Paul telling his own story for the benefit of this Jewish audience. And I want us to think about how do we steward our story? Because you have a story that matters. And you might feel like, well, I don't know, I'm in process and I don't even know what my story sounds like. But that, that's a story that matters, right? Or maybe you, maybe you are like, I don't know, other people have stories that sound so dramatic and I grew up in the church and just, you know, I love God and I've just been around the church my whole life. Well, I would encourage you to go a little deeper with that because I, I, would, I would imagine that you actually have more story than you might recognize. That when you really drill down into your past, you can find times when God showed up for you in ways that really made a difference. They may not have been flash of light, blind you and have to go be healed by some other guy like Paul, but that, that's a remarkable story. For most of us, our story sounds more like God made a difference I lived differently in some way because of it, and I can tell the story of why that was hard, why that was beautiful, and why that was worth it. We are all trying to make sense of our longings and our losses. Everyone is. I am, you are, your neighbor is. And the invitation of God for us as spiritual people is to make sense of those things with him to allow the story of Christ to shape our longings, to, the, to allow the story of Christ to shape the way we relate to our losses, that the way that we inhabit our grief would be in fellowship with the suffering servant who is our savior, who is our king, the one who knows pain and death and loss, the one who knows relational strife, the one who was betrayed the one who was misunderstood, the one who knows what it's like to be you because he is also God and he knows you. We have a savior who gets us and we can relate to him in the midst of anything we're going through, our tragedies, our triumphs, whatever we're excited about, whatever we're wearied by. He knows you and he wants you. And as we begin to relate to him in those ways, as we begin to make sense of our own longings and our own losses in fellowship with him, in and through the prism of the story of Christ and the story of the world being remade in him, and we begin to live differently in our present moment because of him, we now have something meaningful to say to anyone who's wondering how we might make sense of our longings and losses. See, we're fellow subjects together in the story that God is telling about the world. And it's a story that centers on Jesus. And Paul here is telling his own story in a way that seeing it be connected to this larger thing that God is doing. He's inviting his hearers to join him in the midst of that. And he's saying, look, we are all in this together. This is the good thing God is doing.
Now, of course, the drama turns when the crowd can't handle the message. And they say, no, this guy's a problem. We want him out of here. And so the authorities have to like bring him inside into the, into the barracks just to protect him, right? And they're like, all right, well, let's interrogate this guy and find out what's going on. So they tie him up and they're about to beat him to get some answers out of him. And that's when Paul plays the citizen card. I often wonder why he doesn't do this sooner in these episodes. It's like he always waits until after he's taken a couple of shots before he plays the card that gets him out of taking the shots, you know? But he does it in this way. And here he is, and he's bound up, and he's been brought in, and they're about to beat him. And he says, is it really lawful for you to beat a Roman citizen like me? And all of a sudden, the authorities realize, oh, we're, we are almost about to make a major misstep. Because you see, if you're a Roman colony, you're not allowed to violate these laws of Rome and how you treat citizens. You can lose your privileges to be the governor in that place. And so Paul is playing the card, and that earns him a new kind of hearing. And what we'll see as the story unfolds is Paul will find himself in new contexts as the authorities try to figure out what to do with this guy who turns out to be a Roman citizen which means he has rights to a due process to be seen and heard in other courts and in front of other rulers. And so the story is going to continue to unfold, not just in Jerusalem. That won't be the end of the road for Paul. He's going to end up going to all these other places and ultimately to Rome, the great belly of the beast itself, and he'll gain an audience there. But one thing I want us to think about just in closing today as we think about stewarding our own stories and as we think about entering this feast of all saints this isn't Paul's main point in this text, but it's a, it's a beautiful tangent, if you will, I think, and um, a happy accident, perhaps, of just being at this point in the book of Acts on all saints. But I was just drawn to the way Paul includes in his own storytelling the names of others who've been important to him. Look at his story. He names people who have impacted his own life going all the way back to Gamaliel, his rabbi teacher, who shaped him and taught him the scriptures, Ananias, the one who touched his eyes and healed him when he had been blinded by his encounter with Jesus, even Stephen, the one whom Paul was complicit in his own murder, right, as he watched approvingly as people stoned him for his faith, and Paul even's like, yeah, I held their jackets while they did that. I was part of it. He's going back and he's actually naming names of people who mattered in his story. And as we learn our stories, as we begin to understand more deeply our own story of faith, we begin to relate to our own longings and losses and past and present. One of the most important things we can do is recognize that everything about our lives has been prepared for us by someone else who went before. There's like no good thing you've done that wasn't using in some way capital that was handed down to you, whether it was relational or your education or whoever taught you to read, right, or whoever paid for your college or whatever. We all have some sort of benefit. And many of you, if you've grown up in a family of faith, you've had people praying for you since before you were born, right? Your life of faith has been shaped by the investment of many, many people. Every one of us is sitting inside of a room that was built by and paid for mostly somebody else, right? We can't be in a space like this 
without the many members of the body of Christ over many generations pouring out its life for the building up of the church. And so we live in a moment, we live in a community, we, we exist in a space that has been shaped by others and we are then also a generation that is shaping a world now for those who will come after us. And so as we think about stewarding our stories and as we think about in entering in deeply into communion with God on all saints, I would encourage you to take some time to reflect on the saints who've gone before you, who've shaped your life, the ones that you know, who've been intimately involved, the ones you don't know because they came 500 years before you, right? We are part of a really big family and God has put us here in his good wisdom and God has put you here in his good wisdom to be one who shapes others, to be a saint in the communion. So we're gonna do a thing today that's new, we've never done it before, but you can see their candles here on the stage. And after I pray, we're gonna stand and sing. And during the song, whether it's this song or the communion song later, uh, which is for all the saints, whenever it feels appropriate to you during a time when we're standing and singing, if you would like to come forward and light a candle as a way to simply honor the life of one or more saints, as simply a, a silent but visible prayer of gratitude for someone in your life, um, many people in your life, I would invite you to do that. You can do it during the song that we're about to sing or, or as you're coming forward for communion if that feels less awkward. But I would encourage you, as we're standing and singing, this is your living room, okay? Not formal church space. We're family. This is our living room. We got candles and you're invited to come light one. We've got some lighters. We've got little twigs that you can stick in something that's already lit. I'll get it going. But seriously, as you want to, come forward and let's lift up a visible prayer of gratitude to God by lighting candles and thanks for those who've come before us. And I would also encourage you, as we do that, if you've lost people, especially in this pandemic time, I know many of us have sustained significant loss since 2020, but going on before that too. This is also an appropriate time to come and um, allow the candle lighting and the prayer of gratitude to be a stage in your process of grief and healing too. Um, we lament together, but we lament in hope as we celebrate the lives who've gone before us. We also offer, God up, offer up to God our tears as we've lost those who've gone before us. So would you pray with me? And then we'll stand and sing. Our God, we thank you for your love and your care and the family that you've given us in Christ. We thank you for the costly unity of the body. It cost you cost Jesus your life. You gave yourself for this. And it costs us as we are not called to retreat into the comfortable uniformity of tribalism, but we are called to move forward in faith and love and grace into the deep and real unity across difference in the diverse body that you've created in Christ where we're not all the same, where we do have to adjust ourselves to one another, where we do have to listen and be humbled by one another, and where we 
are called into that kind of bearing with one another in love and that making every effort to, make the, to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So we thank you for that. And we thank you for the many, many, many saints who've gone before us, the cloud of witnesses who now cheer us on as we run our leg of the race, following Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, even as he despised its shame. Help us to run that race with him, we pray. And give us eyes of faith to see the company of saints who cheers us on as we go. We pray all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Would you stand and sing?